Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix a cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Today's topic is solutions for depression anxiety and fatigue sufferers. I'm so very excited about today's show because my special guest is Dr. Kelly Brogan. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Kelly Brogan is a holistic women's health psychiatrist, author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Mind of Your Own, and the children's book, A Time for Rain, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after after graduating from Cornell Medical College and has a BS from MIT in Systems Neuroscience. She is board certified in psychiatry, psychosomatic medicine, and integrative holistic medicine and is specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. Dr. Brogan, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. It's a total pleasure. Thank you for having me. So it's been a couple of years, I think, since our last interview. So I'm going to make sure that we dig that out of our archives and we put that on our podcast notes so that our listeners can refer to that interview as well, because that was a phenomenal interview. And I remember one of the things that you said that really stood out to me, because I think we kind of focused on depression at that point, is you said, you know, depression, we shouldn't necessarily think of depression as a diagnosis, but mm-hmm. as a symptom. Mm-mm. And so, yes. so I like that, you know, you think of these things as symptoms and that they're coming from somewhere and it's not necessarily a Prozac deficiency. Yeah, it's an important thing to understand about psychiatry. And I think that because of the prevalence of psychiatric medication and the penetrance of certain memes, like the chemical imbalance theory of depression, many people are walking around with this notion that we've worked out kind of the taxonomy, so to speak, of, of of psychiatry and mental health, and we have all of these discrete disease entities, and we know that they're probably genetically driven, and they correlate with uh, certain kinds of chemical dysfunctions that are largely permanent but can be managed through uh, lifetime you know, prescription um, compliance, and it's simply not true. You know, in psychiatry, remember, we don't have any form of a of objective testing. So we don't do spinal taps. We don't do EEGs. In many cases, basic blood work isn't even done. Um, There's no attempt to identify any valid um, signature, biological signature for the diagnosis, simply because that's not ever been, you know, verified as being a real, um, you know, phenomenon. And so, you know, when I began to research my own field after being a diehard defender of it, 
So much so that I specialized in prescribing to pregnant and breastfeeding women psychotropic medication. That's how much I thought it was the only option. Uh, when I began to research what I might not have been taught in my training, I found that in 60 years of, of basic science research, there has not been a single valid study that, that you know, evidences that the serotonin deficiency, for example, when it comes to depression, but we don't even have theories related to schizophrenia or OCD or ADHD. Uh, the most embedded theory is the what's called the monoamine hypothesis or the serotonin deficiency theory of depression. And there just simply isn't evidence to support it. I was pretty shocked by that because I myself had sat down many, many um, women and many of them in very vulnerable times in their lives and said, you know, there's just not much else you can do about it. And it, it's just, a, you know, you need to correct this imbalance and this is the best way to do it. And so what I found instead was that, you know, for a number of decades, there's been research largely that comes under the umbrella of a mouthful term, psychoneuroimmunology. Sometimes it's called psychoneuroendocrinology, but essentially a field of research that puts mental illness, so to speak, I'm going to put that in air quotes quotes, but that puts mental illness in the same category as other lifestyle conditions that you talk about on this show. So, you know, any of them, all of chronic illness, whether it's heart disease or diabetes or autoimmune conditions or even cancer, um, as being representative of a kind of mismatch between our native biology, our genomes expectations, and the exposures that we have on a daily basis, whether that's to toxicants, whether it's to negative thoughts, whether it's to um, imbalanced relationships, or whether it's to nutrient deficiencies, you know, whether it's to bigger issues related to, you know, family structure and spiritual stressors and um, emergent phenomenon within a person's, you know, psychic landscape, you know, that there is something meaningful there. And it's highly personal to you. And so this is the concept that, you know, your symptoms are essentially messengers, right? They're here to invite you to know yourself better, invite you onto the path of self-discovery so that you can ultimately learn the language of your own biology and begin to take, you know, control through that process of healing. And, and of course, now many years later, I see this to be a fairly archetypal process. It's a journey that I've witnessed so many go on. And the yield is tremendous. Whereas when I was prescribing, I never facilitated a single cure, let alone, you know, the, you know, um, the reclamation of a state of vitality that is really our, our birthright. So if we talk about these symptoms of depression, anxiety, fatigue, I know in my own private practice, probably nine out of 10 new patients have one of those three or all right. three of those three. Right. So, right. so for the listeners out there, this is so common yes, and it's so treatable. So um, Dr. Brogan, you mentioned two big words. So you said psychoneuroimmunology. So if we break that down simply, the mind, the brain, the immune system. Exactly. And those connections and then you said psychoneuroendocrinology so the mind the brain and the hormonal system yeah and how those connect so um, I know in your book you talk about five reversible physical drivers of mental illness so can you dive a little bit into that area for us absolutely so you know there's um 
this this parable about eight blind men, I'm sure you've heard, um, feeling an elephant, right? And, and this idea that if you are focused on a sort of cordoned off, segmented area of exploration without an awareness of its connectedness to the whole, you could really get a wrong impression and think that when you're feeling an elephant's tail, um, you're really just looking at a rope or you're feeling, you know, the, the elephant's leg. It's really just like perhaps a tree trunk instead of um, it being a part of something uh, far greater. And so it's the same concept with psychoneuroimmunology is that for a number of years, there has been a study of the role of inflammation as a messenger system in the emergent phenomenon of psychiatric symptoms and you know whether that's you know hearing voices or seeing visions or whether it's insomnia poor concentration fatigue uh, agitation irritability you know the the list is very long when it comes to mood behavioral and cognitive symptoms that can attend an imbalance, right? So many of your patients probably come in thinking that they have, you know, some gut symptoms and then maybe they also have some hair loss and then maybe they also separately have this um, knee pain and then separately they have the fatigue and anxiety and poor, poor motivation. But obviously, you know, um, based on our, our shared training, that these are all interrelated expressions of imbalance. And so when it comes to the predominant uh, challenges being in, in the realm of psychiatry, and so let's say they're you know mood-related or anxiety-related, and I tend to like to use slightly different words for those. So instead of depression, just because it, it's so nonspecific and so descriptive that we can end up meaning very different things, thinking that we're saying, you know, the same exact, um, the same exact word. So with depression, I'll often say, you know, is is there a feeling of of flatness or disconnection? Um, or with with anxiety, it's often like this vigilance, right? It's this feeling like, you know, it's never quite the job is never quite done or it's never quite okay. You never quite feel safe. Uh, and when it comes to these kinds of presenting symptoms or if you have energy imbalances like you're throughout your day, you have waves of intense fatigue, um, whether it's physical or mental fatigue, or you're waking up two hours after you go to sleep at night, um, there are some low-hanging fruit that I think are worth exploring before you, you know, see 10 different specialists, even in the alternative medicine realm, you know, to, to explore these through very basic uh, protocol of lifestyle change, you'll see that they're highly reversible. And I found that there are five drivers that are the most common uh, reversible causes of what we're calling psychiatric symptoms. I sometimes call them psychiatric pretenders. And there's probably a ton of overlap with the presentation of other chronic illness. So you can end up killing many birds with one stone with addressing these very simple um, lifestyle changes. So the first is blood sugar imbalance. And I'm sure you would agree that there are so many of us, if not all of us to some extent, because of the nature of our stress exposures and because of the the nature of processed food and the ways in which we use um you know, food to our convenience rather than developing some sort of more conscious relationship to the active eating. You know, I'm, uh, my family is Italian. And when I go to Italy, uh, my cousin is a lawyer and a judge, right? So she's no, <laughs> she's no scrub. And she takes a two and a half hour lunch 
every single day. It's two and a half hours long. She can go swimming at the, you know, at the beach and have this like luxurious lunch. We don't do that here. We have a totally different priority system. And our, um, our autonomic nervous system doesn't really care what our priorities are. It has its own priorities, right? So when you eat in these certain kind of like convenience focused ways, you can end up sending your blood sugar on this roller coaster and the relationship of blood sugar dips to fight or flight chemistry is such that you can end up having something as severe as a panic attack. I mean, I had one patient years ago who was having six panic attacks every single day. She was on three psychiatric medications. She was heading to electroconvulsive therapy, believe it or not. We still do that um, in this country. And within four weeks of you know, basic dietary change, she was totally symptom-free, still on her meds that obviously played no role in that, right? So this is um, is a very low-hanging fruit that can be resolved by a high natural fat diet that controls for processed food, flours, and, um, and sugar, right? So another is one that I learned a lot about myself um, through personal experience. It's the reason I began to explore uh, functional medicine and um, holistic practices is uh, thyroid imbalance. So when you look at the symptoms of hypothyroidism and you look at the symptoms of major depressive disorder, they line up so completely that they're virtually identical. And so, you know, you might think it it stops there, but it's also, um, according to the evidence, highly relevant as a etiologic consideration as a, as a driver of bipolar, a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and mania, postpartum psychosis, ADHD, generalized anxiety. And so you wouldn't want to treat thyroid imbalance, which is typically autoimmune in nature. You wouldn't want to treat that with, you know, Zoloft or Prozac. That's just not intelligent medicine. Uh, but you wouldn't know to connect those dots if you don't have, you know, access to um, the information that can help you interpret labs if you're ordering them yourself or a clinician who is trained to, you know, read between the lines a bit the way functional medicine doctors are uh, around um, thyroid diagnosis. Then another one is a big part of my advocacy, which is around informed consent related to the adverse effects of commonly prescribed medications. And this these can include, you know, cholesterol medications like statins, um, uh, antibiotics, vaccines, birth control pills, and a number of, you know, very common over-the-counter meds like even Tylenol or Aleve or NSAIDs that not only can they have um, effects on parts of the system that affects mood, cognition, and behavior like gut integrity um, or nutrient deficiencies, but that sometimes they have been documented to have direct effects on mood, like the most recent um, data on Tylenol having um, numbing effects on um, empathy, right? <laughs> so it's like, we don't think of that because we think, oh, I'm taking Tylenol for my pain, but it's kind of like a spider web, you know, pulling one little strand is going to move the whole thing. And we're just not conditioned to think that way about our biology because of this Cartesian, you know, model of kind of chopping up the the body, mind, and spirit into these different compartments. So imagining that they don't um, impact each other. And um, then there's the, the realm of nutrient deficiency. And while there are many that are highly relevant to psychiatry, there's one that I find has like 
the most jaw-dropping data, and it's it's B12. And you can have a B12 deficiency, you know, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, uh, from anything, you know, ranging from the fact that you're just not eating foods containing um, available forms of it, um, all the way to the fact that you're taking an acid-blocking medication for more than a month and a half, which is all it's ever been studied for, and now these are over-the-counter, and you have a disruption in the ecology and acidity of your um, digestion so that you're just not absorbing B12, which is a complex nutrient to absorb. And, you know, I'll never forget when I read this first um, case report on this 27-year vegetarian, and she... um, she she literally was diagnosed with catatonic depression, which is considered the most severe form. She was unresponsive. She was hallucinating. Uh, and after treatment with multiple medications where she was unresponsive to, you know, medication-based treatment, she was transferred to an outside hospital, found to have a low B12 um, level, which was actually still technically in range, um, according to the lab results. She was replaced with two injections, and and not only did she become symptom-free, but she was able to enjoy her previous baseline from like 27 years ago. And this was, you know, such a simple intervention, totally reversible, and she could have been in the, you know, the psychiatric mill for, you know, endless, countless years as a treatment-resistant, you know, depression candidate. And so, yeah, so those are kind of like the ones I would say to consider first and foremost um, before you head to, you know, CVS with your prescription. So what you don't see here is me shaking my head during this whole conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So you talked about uh, balancing the blood sugar with making appropriate diet changes, and that's fairly simple. Right. There's, and there's quick, so much, right? Yeah. yeah, so simple and quick. I mean probably within a week, patients are already feeling better. Right. And then, as you said, thyroid, that thyroid medications are a part of the formulary for prescribing for mood disorders, but doctors usually don't ever think about that. And that, and, right. or, or you said, they don't even look at that. Or they don't know how to, right? Because we're trained to kind of read beyond the, you know, the TSH reference range that ends in six, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to understand the relevance of antibodies as being, you know, even, even if you have normal quote unquote, um, lab values, as far as your thyroid hormone levels and TSH, if at least in psychiatry, if you have the presence of autoimmune markers like thyroid peroxidase antibody, that is relevant, right? There's already a process, immunoinflammatory process at work that could be the, the, the reason really that you're presenting with symptoms of anxiety or um, brain fog or what you might call, you know, depression. I know, I know, well, I practice in Canada. And here the medical system is very segmented. And, and, and I've seen this with patients that come in, I would say, like, has your doctor looked at your thyroid? Has your psychiatrist looked at your thyroid? No. No, they haven't. Right. right. Oh, well, I want you but to ask them. That has to do with the brain, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I want you to ask them about that. And then they come back on the next visit. Yeah, I asked my psychiatrist. And they said, well, that's the job of the endocrinologist. And I'm like, okay, but... <laughs> Division of labor, labor right? Yeah, like, so that that's where, as you know, functional medicine and looking at the whole picture uh, really comes into play. Yes. And then, of course, you mentioned the adverse effects of common medications. 
That, that's yes. something that I don't think um, many of us really fully appreciate, even in the realm of functional medicine. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was so shocked by what I um, learned about psychiatric medications again, because I had been such a diehard believer in them. I believed that they worked well enough, that the risks were fairly minimal, and that long-term treatment was the only really wise choice because otherwise you're at risk of relapse. And that's, you know, why would you put yourself in that vulnerable position? So, you know, if I could learn a totally different um, like antithetical narrative where I learned that, that the efficacy of these medications is grossly overrepresented. And then I learned that the adverse effects sometimes that are so jaw-dropping, whether it's, you know, how habit-forming they are um, and biochemically, you know, dependent someone can become on these even after a few months or that they can induce impulsive um, violence, whether to self or others. You know, I never talk to patients about these things and there is a very important signal of harm in the primary literature that I just wasn't aware of. So then I thought, you know, well, what else is there? And I started to research all of the other medications um, and pharmaceutical interventions that I myself had been a huge believer in. You know, I was one of those people who said, yeah, statins should be in the water. Why would you ever put yourself at risk and they're safe? And, and it's kind of like a preventive medicine tactic, right? Or birth control. I myself took it for 12 years. Of course, I took, you know, over-the-counter painkillers. I mean, it, an amazing example is, you know, I took, uh, I was prescribed a beta blocker as a resident and cardiac meds, as you well know, have tremendous um, adverse effect profiles, including statins, as I mentioned. And, um, and I was prescribed it because even after a Holter monitor, monitor, like I was worked up properly, you know, and, and I had this racing heart that was so uncomfortable. But nobody ever asked me in this whole elaborate um, exploration whether or not I was drinking coffee. Right? Yeah, so yeah, there you I go. I used to drink six, six cups of coffee, count them, a day, every single day, you know, and, I, and I'm a relatively tiny person. And I... You know, I since in, I think it was 2008, I stopped drinking coffee and I've never had the issue again. So when you're not looking for these drivers, you're simply not going to find them. And what happens is you just end up in a, a more complex lifestyle, like having to take these medications. As far as I know, nobody actually wants to take medication, right? You only ever take it because you imagine it's it's the only choice you have or it's the, you know, the best choice you have. Um, but it's not the only choice you have. And in fact, it can engender more complex um, challenges for you if you don't have this information and know to connect these dots. So for the listener out there, Dr. Brogan was talking about the statin class of medication. So that's the most common medication that is prescribed for high cholesterol. Yes. So probably most of you listening are on it right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, what I found was most, you know, because I, in my practice, I've um, specialized in, in treating women, and I've only ever treated women uh, in my practice um, relative to my online offerings, which give me a picture of, of the greater population. But I was really shocked to learn that there is not a shred of evidence to defend the fact that any woman on the planet would ever take a statin, literally. Yes. Like, I challenge anyone to show me a study. Because what, when I, you know, dug into this, I found, okay, so the demographic of a white male who has a previous history of MI, of a, of a heart attack, you know, 
even in that population, you could really argue about the absolute risk reduction um, versus the relative risk reduction and a lot of hand-waving that's going on there. And is it really of mortality benefit to those people? But outside of that demographic, it's like totally what the Cochrane database would call consensus medicine, right? So people are simply, doctors are simply prescribing statins because other doctors are prescribing statins. That's why not because there's an evidence base. And, you know, I, I, I felt really irate about that, you know, when I would have female patients come in taking statins because, you know, they had a cholesterol of, of 190 or 205. And meanwhile, so many of them had undiagnosed hypothyroidism, and that is a documented reason for elevated levels of cholesterol as the body's wise response to the conservation of resources that is undertaken when the thyroid is insufficiently supported, again, by nutrient um, deficiencies or other kinds of toxicant exposures like fluoride. So, you know, when you don't understand all of these relationships, it seems like it makes a lot of sense to just take a medication, why not? But when you start to learn about the the innate intelligence of the body, it really begins to make less and less sense to reach for a pharmaceutical fix. And then the other thing that you spoke about was um, common nutrient deficiencies. And I, I know myself in my office, B12 is like very commonly. Yes. I find it not as a deficiency, but an insufficiency, because like you said, it's still in the normal range, but it's on right. the really low end of the normal range. And with my training that I did with Dr. Dale Bredesen, he said, you know, the research, you know, says like optimum B12 levels, ideal B12 levels are between 500 and 1500. So yes, you listeners out there, you know, you grab a copy of your blood work whenever you go to your doctor, get a copy for yourself and look at the numbers and see where your B12 is because you want it to be between 500 and 1500. And very, very rarely do I ever see that. Yes. Yeah, I know. I absolutely agree. So that's what you said as the low hanging fruit. And then depending on how the patient responds, you're going to keep digging deeper to keep finding, okay, what else could be driving these symptoms of depression, anxiety, fatigue, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, what I found is that once you engage basic lifestyle change, uh, that itself ameliorates and remediates all of these, you know, issues we've just described because you're you're focusing on a nutrient dense diet that simultaneously limits inflammatory dietary exposures. Um, in in my sort of approach clinically, you're also doing um, you know, relaxation response or basic commitment to beginning to calm the autonomic nervous system, which itself is the master controller of um, inflammatory response. And then you're engaging uh, detox. And, you know, my preferred, I guess, approach is based on the teachings of my um, mentor, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, and include coffee enemas uh, as a, a methodology for rebalancing the body through its own means. So through the, hip, the liver channels that are already built in, uh, because many of the women that I work with and, and um, folks that I've worked with through my online program have a massive amounts of pharmaceutical um, toxic buildup, you know, because none of these molecules are recognizable um, to our biological systems. They're all novel. That's why they can be patented. So we, you know, we have to assist the body. That's not to mention, you know, 
exposure to pesticides or 100,000 unstudied industrial chemicals and, you know, all of the rest of the 5G networks and EMFs in our midst. So we really are in a position where supporting our biology is, is really kind of the least we can do. And then going back to the very beginning of our talk today, you, you mentioned very briefly about genetics that we have all of these different factors impacting our genetics. And I guess for the listeners out there to be, to, to have some hope that there's definitely something that can be done. That's that's the thing that I am most passionate about because I spent the first couple of years of my you know early discovery process when I began to do all of this research around the untold story story of pharmaceuticals. I was very angry. <laughs> I'm Italian and Irish, so I have that that kind of um, easily tripped wire built into me, and I just felt like just betrayed, you know, by my training that never talked to me about all of this. And I felt probably some no small measure of guilt that I had written all these prescriptions to this vulnerable population. And I ultimately found that my focus on that aspect was very important to informed consent, to making sure that people can can elect choices that are right for them. But like, let's touch on it and let's keep going <laughs> because the the promised land of self-authority, right, the promised land of radical healing and the promised land of transformation through illness is so glorious. It's so beautiful that that's all that I focus on now is making sure that people know what's possible. Because if you know, you know, that somebody uh, with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder on multiple medications, status posts, like multiple hospitalizations, can live medication and diagnosis-free, if you know that's possible, right, if you know that chronic recidivistic schizophrenia can be put into remission, if you know that suicidal depression can be an entirely a thing of your past, if you know that debilitating hormonal imbalance or 18 years of lupus or, you know, migraines that leave you bedbound or Graves disease, you know, we have all of these outcomes documented and they are transformable. They are remittable. You can heal. And if you know that, then you can set your sights on that goal and you can achieve it. I believe that. That's the most important ingredient is knowing it's possible and wanting it because the success is nearly guaranteed, right? Without those two ingredients, it's very hard to navigate through your own inner compass to where you are probably entitled to go. But with them, literally, I believe anything uh, can be healed. And I've found that, and obviously I was uh, inspired, maybe not obviously, but I was inspired by my mentor who, you know, is the only physician in modern medicine to have a 27-year practice where he put terminal cancers and degenerative illness into long-term, multi-decade remission, and allopathic medicine couldn't match a single one of his cases. So this is this is how incredible and beautiful um, natural medicine can be. And it's it's beyond hope. It's like, go get it, right? Like, claim it. It's yours. Dr. Brogan, we have a few minutes left here. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about today that you think is important for our listeners to understand? I would say there's, there's a, a quote I often reference um, from Maya Angelou. That's when you know better, you do better. And I think we can get into this um, kind of self-critical place that is very paralyzing when we feel like we've either made choices that aren't good, 
right? So let's say you're on medication or you, you chose to take medication, or in my case, I prescribed them and I thought they were the best idea. Um, or you get into this place, even when you're in the health and wellness space, where it's like it's never good enough what you're doing, right? And, and you're constantly chasing that A plus, you know, um, grade on your efforts. So I think there's um, a, a practice and a collection of exercises that are really important accompaniment to the healing path. And they involve, you know, developing a relationship to these kind of more tender parts of yourself, um, more vulnerable aspects of your of your being. And I do think that's a very important part of um the, the richer terrain that we're talking about so that you don't get stuck in a place where you're shaming yourself or feeling guilty or feeling um, judgmental. And it's just kind of like a new version of the old kind of medicine where it confirmed this inner belief that something is wrong with you, right? Or that you're broken or limited or not good enough in an important way. And that, that deep, dark secret that lives honestly within each of us because of, you know, conditional love we received as kids or whatever kind of trauma we might have been exposed to, that is the ultimate um, point of healing. And it is possible through, you know, relatively simple attention to these habitual ways in which we relate to ourselves. And so that's a lot of what I've, um, you know, tried to focus on in my most recent work and, and book. Fantastic. Um, Dr. Brogan, how can our listeners find out more about you? So we have a ton of free material to kind of get you started um, on kellybroganmd.com. And I have a new book out. It's the second kind of like follow-up, I guess, um, sequel to Living the Life and Walking the Path um, to my first book, A Mind of Your Own. And this new book is called Own Yourself. And my intention is for it to be kind of like a manual to navigating crisis and particularly um, very challenging emotional terrain uh, without medication after it or or beyond it, uh, kind of moving through what is often called the dark night of the soul um, in a fear-free, med-free way. So for the listeners out there, I'll make sure to find those links and put them in the podcast notes on our website so that you can easily find Dr. Brogan and all of her fantastic resources. Dr. Brogan, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been another awesome interview. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Kelly Brogan. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.